You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast, your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, as always with you here talking Michigan State football, as we have been for pretty much the last 365 days, obviously not every one of those days, but weekly through the whole offseason, we've been with you. Uh, we're, We're getting close to the season, which means we're getting close to uh, twice a week putting out these episodes, but uh, fall camp is upon us. We've gotten plenty of clips. We've gotten plenty of tweets. We just had uh, our first scrimmage yesterday. The Michigan State football Twitter account put out a little hype video for that. So exciting times for us. We're going to hit on all of that. We're going to talk about camp. We're going to do a little bit of like fact fiction uh, about some of the buzz that's coming out. Do we think it's real or fake? Uh, we'll talk running backs, preview the running backs. We did the quarterbacks last week, so we're we're excited to hit on running backs this week. And then we got an over-under for you, as we always do. Scott, it's uh, Sunday afternoon here. How are we doing? Doing good. You can smell the football. The NFL preseason started this weekend, which always kind of sneaks up on me. I never realized how close it is, and all of a sudden they're playing. Um, are you a preseason guy? Like, are you watching no. preseason? I'm not, but it is kind of like a, it's like a invitation into the football season. It's like, come with me. It's arrived. It's <laughs> going to get off to a slow start, but if you're ready, I'm here for you. Um, I used to be a big preseason guy, but I, I feel like I've gotten to the point where I would prefer to just hold off and like, and just really save my excitement for real football and not kind of waste the excitement on some garbage third string, you know, kind of thing. I've seen some clips and highlights and stuff, but yeah, I have successfully it avoided point, it so far. You watch enough preseason games, it gets to a point that you realize it's never very redeeming. Like you don't really enjoy yourself at all. You know, you get like one drive where the starters are playing at like 60% and they're out. And then you're watching position battles and the coaches are calling plays to see specific guys and what they can do. And I guess if you know, if you're really in tune with the position battles and stuff, you might be able to keep up with all that, but I don't have the time. So uh, yeah, we just, uh, I watched the clips, like you said, Um, I get excited because preseason football means good football is very close Um, and continue with my summer because it's August, which is a great time to not sit inside and watch football. So uh, yeah, we're, we're plugging away though. 
19 days as of today, 18, my favorite number, 18 days when this drops from our first game. And week zero is only like... When I posted Josh Butler today and I noticed that we were in, we were sub 20, that that was just a way, like less than three weeks till that Friday night kickoff, man. It, It does feel like we start when we start doing the podcast and you start talking all off season it i feel like it builds up much more slowly because before i you know we're we're always dialed in we always have been cuz we're football freaks but it does bring another element to where we're forced to really dive deep into this thing the whole year and to finally be here i mean we're we're here fall camp is here i'm seeing our players on the field it's oh it's sweet it's here yeah i forget you forget what it feels like like all the little things uh msu football dropped a one of their mini two-minute hype clips today uh from their first scrimmage and like there was nothing in there i mean there's tea leaves if you if you care for that uh maybe we'll talk about them but um it's not it's it's not much it's dudes wearing padded helmets and tapping the quarterback on the shoulder for a sack and like (laughs) But it makes you feel great. It makes you feel like, man, live football right around the corner. Yeah, so we'll we'll touch on all of that. Uh, first, we'll we'll get through a, a little bits of news here. There was uh, an announcement on Twitter uh, that the Senior Bowl was releasing their watch lists for every position. We had uh, a couple guys on there. So we're looking at Anthony Rousseau, the quarterback. Not terribly surprising. Uh, with that one, I know he's he's somebody who's gotten like a bit of NFL buzz for a couple years now uh, from his time at Temple. And then four offensive linemen, AJR Curie, Matt Allen, Blake Boyder, and Kevin Jarvis, all Senior Bowl watch list guys. And so that would be really exciting uh, to get a guy or two there. I was surprised Jacob Panishuk was a guy that I was surprised that I didn't see his name as you know, somebody who's just been making an impact for a long time and, and I think would have kind of a maybe seventh round kind of draft capital. Uh, but, you know, it, it's mostly meaningless. Just because you're on the list doesn't mean you're going to get invited. Just, just because you're um, not on the list now doesn't mean that, you know, you have no chance later on in the season. And the Senior Bowl is a big deal. It's something that that really does make a big difference in terms of especially these kind of fringe guys, you know, the first round picks are first round picks. They're going to go, they're going to get drafted high and and they're going to have a, you know, a lot of money and a good career. Hopefully Uh, it's, it's these fifth, sixth, seventh round type guys who you get that extra opportunity to show what you have directly in front of coaches who are, are there in practices all week and, and that kind of stuff. So um, would be exciting for a couple of these guys to, to get that nod. And, and I know just from listening to Jim Nagy, he's the executive director of the senior bowl, listening to him talk a lot of their process of picking these players are based on what NFL teams want to see. They have their own evaluation process and scouting process, but also they have basically connections with 32 scouts across the league. They're saying like, all right, who do you guys want to see? Like, who who are you guys interested? Who do you guys want to bring to this thing? Um, and, and a lot of that goes into it. So if you're a guy that is invited to the Senior Bowl, 
probably means you're a guy that's, you know, getting at least a lot of NFL hype or, or somebody wants to see a little bit more of you. So would be exciting. We'll see what happens with that. Scott, any, any names that were surprisingly on there or surprisingly left off? No, I mean, it's interesting to have a quarterback on there who we don't even know if he's (laughs) going to start for the team. Right. Um, I I think it makes sense that he's on there, but it's um, interesting. Like I said, I mean, some of the offensive linemen, it's funny that there's four on there because nobody really knows what to make of it. I think you could have seen Jarrett Horst on there. Uh, I mean, he's a senior, he's a graduate senior um, and supposedly making huge strides all conference guy last year. Um, and potentially might be our left tackle, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so I think you could have included him, but yeah, it's, I'm excited to see this offensive line. I think there's a good mix of options between guys coming up and guys who have been around for a while. And I mean, I'm done projecting again, experience means success, but um, we do have plenty of experience. Uh, so hopefully that will come through on the field this year. Yeah, we'll we'll get into some of the stuff here with fall camp now. It's it's been pretty exciting following on Twitter, Instagram, everything. They've been posting a ton of little clips and stuff for us. I I was watching this morning something uh with Angelo Gross, the sugar weasel, uh who was taking us through a, a normal day of uh fall camp, kind of what that schedule looks like. Uh, there was, I, I was watching Big Ten Network had their stop in East Lansing, I believe on Friday, I was watching their kind of recap of um, what they thought or, you know, what they gathered from talking to the coaches and talking to some of the players. Uh, it's It's been pretty exciting, uh, you know, like we mentioned. So we'll talk about some of this in terms of kind of factor fiction. Uh, before we do, really quick though, want to make sure you guys know where to find us. Follow on Twitter at Standing Room MSU. Scott is at Spartan Martin eighteen. Again, that's at Standing Room MSU at Spartan Martin eighteen. We've been doing a lot of fun stuff on social media here. We're ready, almost. Well, we, we're ready. We're just kind of waiting for the 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 all clear from the uh, I guess from us. We're the bosses. Uh, to, to publish our new logo, which looks awesome. We're really excited about it. So we're going to be putting that up here. Uh, the plan is, is basically the week of that we start doing our predictions and stuff. So the week before the season, we're going to have a new logo up there. So don't be surprised. Don't be confused. Uh, if you've been listening, you know, we've, we've kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but it is done. It does look fantastic. We're really excited about that. Uh, go onto the website. We've been posting a bunch of articles here. We're going to be posting a bunch more. Uh, we've got, I did the top 40 MSU running backs of all time, which got a lot of traction. We've got the quarterback preview. And then Scott, you did a piece about basically the, the previous second year Michigan state football coaches and, and kind of how we can look at their success or, or lack thereof and, and kind of how does that help us to project what a year or two under Mel Tucker looks like. So we got a bunch of stuff up there. We're, we're planning a bunch more. Uh, we're trying to get at least one article a week up there. So, you know, if you want to, you know, keep that on your bookmarks or whatever. Um, again, it's, it's just the two of us here. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll hire some writers or something, but as of now, we have no money to do that. So it's just us two. So if, if there is something that 
you're looking for, or it, it takes a couple extra days, bear with us. We're busy. We're trying to get this thing off the ground, but um, let's get into this fall camp stuff. Uh, we got some factor fiction here that we're going to touch on. The first bit of news that, that I want to get your thoughts on Scott is there's been a lot of buzz. There's been some, some video proof that Connor Hayward has moved from his running back position to a tight end H back, something like that type of role. Uh, are are you believing that? I think my audio went here, but are you buying it? Um, yes, mostly because of how busy our backfield room is. Um, which opens up the door for possibly the greatest MSU football play ever. A short side jet sweep with Connor Hayward. With the slowest guy on the team. <laughs> taking the snap, running to the boundary side, and getting one yard. I just want you to envision that, let it soak in, enjoy it, get ready for it, expect it. Week one, it is coming to a television near you. Uh, no, jokes aside, I think he will be a tight end. I think this scheme has a lot of different kind of roles that tight ends can fill. They're going to be splitting them out wide as receivers. They're going to be putting them off the end of the line to block. They're going to be putting them in the backfield as an H back, which I think would work really well with Connor Hayward. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. There, there's other tight ends. We'll get into it in our tight end preview whenever that ends up coming out um, as far as kind of all the different guys and different roles that, that, that we could see them in. But I think it makes sense as a move. I think we've got a busy backfield with dudes who are a little bit better with the ball in their hands or a lot better with the ball in their hands. Um, and I think, you know, one of the strengths that has always kind of come out around Connor Hayward is that he's he's a good receiver. He's a good pass catcher. He runs routes well. He's got good hands. And, uh, and he's a good pass blocker. So, you know, again, in that H-back role, I, I don't really see him lining up off tackle. Um, I just don't think he's got the bulk for it. But as an H-back and an extra pass blocker back there, I think it's still you could still use his strengths to your advantage. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, all things considered with the player he's become, I think it's a good fit. Yeah, it's in somebody, and hopefully my audio's back. I, I accidentally turned off my microphone, so it went to the computer speaker microphone there for a second. Um, but no, I th- he's somebody that I think fans have constantly been frustrated to see on the field. It's one of those as, as soon as he takes a snap, all of Twitter is is basically what the hell is this guy doing in there? And to some extent, I've definitely been in that boat before as well. But on the other side, to give him some credit, I mean, the results of Connor Hayward being on the field has never been too negative. It just hasn't been too positive either. So uh, finding a role for him again, like you mentioned, he's got great hands. You know, he's somebody who doesn't drop passes, who, who will secure a catch, uh, fall forward for a couple extra yards and, when you're looking at a tight end room that doesn't really have a lot of proven guys, uh, I'm sure he could find a way to get some snaps in there. Um, so I, I think I'll, if we're taking fact or fiction here, I'll, I'll take that as a fact and saying, you know, he'll get there. He'll get some reps this year and you know, we'll see what he can do with it. The next one kind of similar, if we're talking position changes, 
uh, depending on how you want to look at what we brought him in for in the first place, is Tank Brown, the Minnesota transfer. There's been a couple twi- a couple of clips now we've seen on Twitter that he is playing a, an edge role. He's, he's going to be a pass rusher coming off the edge. He's not going to be one of those two off-ball linebackers in this defense. He's, he's going to be a pass rusher. So we kind of talked about this as like, okay, the, the factor fiction part of this, it's pretty clear that that's going to be his role. So I don't think that it's, I think it's too easy of an answer to say, Hey, is he a, is he a pass rusher now? Um, so I guess the question is now, is he a pass rusher that will make an impact here in 2021? We saw a clip in the scrimmage of him getting the sack, uh, you know, quote unquote sack. We're using that term very loosely with the, the, shoulder tap but uh yeah is is he somebody who's gonna make an impact as a pass rusher this coming season i'm gonna say fiction for this season i think he will long term but i I just i don't it's a big position change it's a whole new skill set he has to develop he certainly has the frame and the time to develop into it um and there's an opportunity on, you know, as looking at weak side defensive ends, you've got, you know, guys like Panashuk and Drew Jordan and to an extent Drew Beasley, who they've been around and we know what we're going to get, but they're not prolific pass rushers, right? So, and it's obviously a position in an, uh, a role that every program is looking for. And I think has been a little bit light at Michigan State in recent years. So you've got guys moving in like Brandon Wright. Um, you've got you know, a few different options at defensive end, but there's going to be a hole there. He will get his opportunities. I think Michael Fletcher, Brandon Wright, and um, Tank Brown are all going to get their opportunities to be kind of that third down weak side speed rusher or just pass rusher in general. I just don't know with the position change and the guys in front of him, if he'll be able to uh, to move up that quickly and develop that skill set quickly enough to be you know, a real difference maker game in and game out this season. It seems like something they're really trying to find is the, is the one thing that, cause I, my first instinct is definitely in your boat with the fiction and saying like, man, it's, it's a deep defensive end room and just being able to come in and crack that lineup right away. But like you said, we're, we're moved Brandon Wright to that spot. We, we bring in a transfer and tank Brown and, and put his hand in the dirt. Like, it seems like a position that they're really trying to fill, which could tell us that they don't really trust or believe in what we have there as we stand right now. But I do think if we're looking at kind of third down pass rush roles, I do think Michael Fletcher showed us enough in limited snaps last year that I would trust him right now over tank Brown. And I think drew Beasley has had a bit of, of pass rushing production is somebody like, I know PFF loves him as a pass rusher. They were putting him right there with like Kenny Willekes, which I think is a little bit ridiculous, but uh, he does have some fans out there and he has put out some good tapes. So where you look at a, a Jacob Panishuk and a Drew Jordan as as kind of your edge setter, strong side type of guys, when you're looking at that third down pass rushing role, I do think that there's just a little bit too much in front of him for this year. But let's not forget, Panishuk, Jordan, and Beasley are all gone after this year due to graduation. So 
there's going to be a huge void at that position coming up in 2022. And, you know, we'll see if Tank Brown, Michael Fletcher, if these are the type of guys who can step up and secure that role. Uh, maybe it's a young player that that we're not really expecting right now. You know, we've talked about a guy like Alex Aquilo, who's definitely not going to be playing this year. But, you know, if he kind of builds into his frame quicker than expected or or something like that. But 2022, I think, is where we start seeing the Tank Brown impact. We, we might get some snaps out of him this year, but I, I really don't expect that type of uh, – that type of role for him right away. Uh, Jarrett horse left tackle. This was some, something that we've talked about, I think enough already. So we'll, we'll hit on this one really quick, but uh, it's, it's something that seems to be relatively confirmed They they went out there uh, in an open practice and Jarrett horse was lined up uh, at the left tackle spot with the first group, you know, as far as, who was in the first group, who was in the second group, I don't think is super important. But uh, I do think that him being out there at left tackle is a, a little bit confirming something that I've at least been talking about. And we have been talking about for months and months and months now that um, I don't think he was coming in to play right tackle. I think he was coming in and taking that left tackle job, which is a little bit more important, taking that blindside protection uh, because I just think he's a better player than AJR Curie is right now. So I think uh, I, I'll take fact all day with that. I think he's going to be our starting left tackle uh, against Northwestern week one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it snuck up on me a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't something like when they announced the transfer, you know, I thought to myself, well, he's not good enough to play left tackle. It's just, and we've talked about this before. It just felt like, well, our Curie has played left tackle a long time and we need a right tackle. So just kind of didn't put, enough thought to it as it probably deserved. And and now that it's looks like it's happening, it's not, you know, it's not particularly surprising. He was a phenomenal tackle uh, at Arkansas state uh, again, all conference there uh, his previous year. So um, yeah, I think it's going to happen. I it's really encouraging to know that there's not really a fall camp battle here, that they're so confident in him. And Chris Kapilovich likes his, his game that much that, you know, he's our guy, you know, we don't need to see live snaps. He's our guy. Um, I think it's something that we can be all be really excited about. Obviously he needs to produce in the big 10. He needs to be able to manage a significantly higher um, competition level, but I mean, the coaches know that too, and they're already shooting him in for that position. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting. And um, I'm excited to see what he looks like week one against Northwestern. Yeah. So two more here. One um, is two guys that I'll kind of lump together. And then the last one is running back related. So that'll be our segue to the running back preview. The next thing I want to kind of hit on is a, a kind of general wide receiver three conversation because you know we we read and nailer are locked in we know that that wide receiver three spot is getting more and more interesting by the day because there are some really weird comments and reports and ricky white isn't even like on campus right now so as far as kind of who's going to start week one i feel pretty confident in saying it's probably not going to be him at this point if he's still not practicing with the team a week into fall camp uh 
neither of us have any information on that. So we won't even bother really speculating, but I, I think we can toss his name out at least for week one, maybe later in the season, he, you know, gets back into good graces and, and so on. But you got Keon Coleman, who's been getting all kinds of buzz coming out of camp about how athletic, about how, you know, big, strong, fast that he is compared to even what we thought you've got, Montori Foster, who went out with the first group again, I'm not reading too much into who's going out with what groups, but that was just a name that we hadn't really considered a whole lot, but played as a true freshman last year, um, I guess is somebody who, who should absolutely be considered there. You've got Trey Mosley, who has been battling injuries, but we've seen him on the field producing. He, he was a good wide receiver uh, back in 2019 before you know, dealing with some injuries, not really being able to get on the field. You've got CJ Hayes, Terry Lockett, guys that we've talked about. So I guess the, the, the general factor fiction here is, is going to be Keon Coleman centered. Is he a legitimate threat to be a day one starter at that third wide receiver spot? This one's tough. Like day one, I could confidently say I could see him starting this season at some point could he start week one against a conference opponent um and I I'm gonna say fact I'm not gonna say he will but I'm I'm going to say he has the potential to start the first week um and obviously it all depends on his grasp of the playbook and how well he does the little things like blocking in the run game and you know all those other things that maybe don't show up on highlight reels but I mean, there's a void here and there's not a guy that I just feel like is the guy to beat. I mean, you could make an argument that's Trey Mosley, but like he hasn't been producing in at all, you know, since basically two years ago. If D'Antonio was still here, I would say Trey Mosley for sure. But, you know, you look at kind of the way that Mel Tucker has been treating this program and it's, it's very NFL based where this is a, a narrative thing in the NFL all the time where a new coaching staff comes in and there's a lame duck quarterback or whatever. And, and there's this narrative about like, well, that's not his guy. That was the previous staff's guy. And so, you know, like that does come into play here where Mel Tucker brought in his guys, his recruits, his transfers and all of that um, because he thought that the guys on the roster just weren't, up to snuff basically so is trey mosley one of those guys who he just didn't really believe in or was it more injury focused that that he wasn't really just able to to get into a rhythm get on the field the other aspect that i think is playing in coleman's favor is just his size i mean i know he has the speed and the strength but he has a bona fide wide receiver one outside wide receiver frame and when you're rolling out your two shoe-in starters are both six foot 185 190 you need a big body especially when you're getting down near the red zone you know I was watching the Plaxico Burris tape from the 99 Michigan game and it's I'm not saying he's the next Plaxico Burris but like similar size where you get up we're against also the small... we're also not saying he's not <laughs> I'm not saying that either no he's you put him up against the mismatched corner and he's ready to go for jump balls right now there was a clip that came out today of him getting really physical with his hands before high point in the football. Uh, he just seems to have kind of that X factor that wide receivers need to, to win one-on-one battles. And with his size, um, I think he's, he's ready to start competing for that. Uh, again, there's a lot of different aspects, 
how is he running routes? How is he blocking? All those things. But you look at the competition, and I, I, I can't put my finger on a guy who has a better shot at the job other than just guys who have a little bit of experience. If Ricky White was around, it might be a different conversation. But I think, you know, just his his size um, and the lack of competition and puts him in the conversation. And the other things, too, I, there's two things here. Is One, you mentioned the two guys that we know are going to start. Jaden Reed is is a perfect slot receiver. He's a guy who who has the talent to to go out on the outside and make plays, but if you allowed him free releases in the slot, he would be so dangerous with his like short area quickness, his ability to just find soft spots, get open. If you're going to put him in the slot where nobody can press him, where nobody can get a hand on him, that becomes really dangerous. So if, if you know, your quote unquote third wide receiver is somebody in that Keon Coleman mold where he can take those outside reps and allow him to work from the slot. That could be the best thing for the offense. And the other thing that that's working in his favor a little bit is Mel Tucker showed last year that he's not afraid to start a freshman. Uh, There was plenty of examples here. And even you look at like Jordan Simmons, the running back week one, as a true freshman with no spring camp, with no, with a very limited fall camp, he took 14 carries against Rutgers. So Mel Tucker showed from, from week one that he's not afraid to, to put freshmen into those situations if he thinks they're ready for it. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it, we'll get to the wide receiver previews and, and maybe that's where I'll kind of start making predictions. But I think he's absolutely, you know, one of the guys that's going to be in that race. The last one here, and, you know, this will kind of lead us into the running back preview in, in a way, is Eli Collins, uh, somebody that we've talked a lot about and somebody everybody's talked a lot about because he was so good in 2019, and then he gets COVID. He, he mentions how he just wasn't able to recover. His, he lost muscle. He lost conditioning and just wasn't the same player. And we saw that. It, it, before we knew he got COVID, we were all watching those games like, what is wrong with it? They just, you would see a hole open up and he just wasn't, he didn't have that gear. He didn't have that burst that he showed in 2019 to find and get through those holes. So everything I'm reading is that he looks the part, he feels the part, and and he's back to 2019 Eli Collins. And that, you know, the 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 negative effects of COVID are, are in the past. And so we're going to see a fully locked and loaded Eli Collins in 2020. Is, is that something you're buying or, or do you think it's going to be a little bit more 2020 or even somewhere in between? I'm buying it. I, I, I there's not a lot of uh, reasons I can't write off last year when you, when you put it in the context of COVID and that's not something that came out this year as an excuse. It was mid season or maybe early it was yeah i think it was right after the season ended i want to say and and he looked his freshman year was not a fluke it wasn't like a game or two here there i mean he almost he was like 10 yards short of a thousand yards as a freshman um and he looked great and that kind of ability does not just evaporate overnight um you know he, he had covid he missed reps because of that 
preseason he missed reps during the season and then he just never really got his feet under him in a really chaotic season but the talent is still there you know he's still the same player he's in a new scheme but he's had a year to get used to it I don't see a reason why to doubt you know the other reports obviously there's plenty of you know piping dudes up in fall camp it's nothing new but um we do have, he does have the track record from a couple of years ago to show he can be that player. And, uh, and I think it's something that all the fans really, really would love to see. Right. I mean, going into last season, we were talking about him being the star of the offense. Uh, we, you know, we had a void at quarterback. We knew we'd need production at running back and he was coming off basically a thousand yard season. Um, I think he's not looking at that this year because he's going to be sharing reps and that's something we'll get into. Um, but yeah, I think he's a guy that we're going to be able to rely on again, and we're going to see some healthy production out of him again. Yeah. And it's, it's like you said, it's something that I think everybody wants to see with somebody that was easy to root for. And then you have just this dynamic where it's, you know, you don't go out there and, and finish fourth in the conference and rushing and then just become a bad player. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. Maybe you take a step back and you know maybe it was there just wasn't a whole lot of good running backs and yeah he's he's kind of a league average guy like all right i i could get with that but he's not a bad running back he's not he's not going to be what he was last year last year was bad but again we can point to a very clear and obvious reason for that so yeah i i think as far as returning to form in 2019 um i think that's certainly something we're going to see now, is he going to get the carries that he got in 2019? Probably not. The reason is we brought in a stud running back from Wake Forest that we'll get to here in a second. Uh, let's talk to running backs. We'll kind of preview this, and it's it's going to be a little bit different than the quarterback preview. The quarterback preview is just kind of like, all right, here's here's basically the the competition for the starting job because that's really the the only important thing for this year. Um, the running backs will will try to hit on all of these guys at least a little bit because I think it's it's a deep room. It's somebody that we're going to get a bunch of guys getting carries and a few guys that we're kind of looking for sometime in the future as well. Um, it's a it's a weird group because it's something that I am excited, but at the same time, like statistically, we should have no reason to be excited about our running game. It's been horrible. It's been so bad. And even talking about Eli Collins, like that year, we weren't super efficient or effective running. It was just that it was all from one guy. So, you know, while the team rushing stats were still among the bottom of the conference, because it all went to Eli Collins, he he was one of the top backs in the league. Um, I had this, I don't know if, if you saw this on Twitter, I posted this. In the last, so since 2016, I wanted to go back and look at this because 2015, we had an effective ground game with LJ Scott, Madre London, Gerald Holmes, and it was that three-headed monster. And I wanted to go back, all right, so 2016, I knew it took a dip, and then obviously since then it's been bad. I was like, how many, how many times have we had a hundred yard rusher? Cause I was kind of thinking of those old lion stats where it was like <laughs> Barry Sanders was the last hundred yard rusher or uh, Reggie Bush ended up getting it. And we just could never get that. And that hundred yard rusher in a game is that, you know, it's just that sign of like, okay, everything was working today. It probably means that you had a lead. It probably means realistically that you either won or had a chance to win the game. 
So since 2016, we've had six, 79, 10, 11, 12, 13, 100 yard rushers. I was like, okay, that sounds about right. You know, in, in over the course of four and a half seasons, let's call it. And that's less than two per year, which it's pretty bad. And the rushing has been pretty bad. So, okay, that sounds about right. Six of them were in 2016 when we were three and nine. I'm like, wait, what? I, I still can't make this make any sense. But the other thing to consider here too is, is of those games that we had a hundred yard rusher, it was against Western Michigan, Illinois, Rutgers in 2019 uh, when they were still horrible. Uh, Maryland, we did that against Maryland three times in that in that span. Washington State, you know, a, an air raid Pac-12 uh, team. Minnesota once Furman. And you, it was against bad teams that you would you would better have a hundred yard rusher in those games. And so yeah, I look at that and, and you talk about the hype that Kenneth Walker has been getting and maybe he's a guy who can come in, command those types of carries, command that type of workload and, and kind of change this narrative. I, Scott, what's your kind of thoughts about Kenneth Walker as we're into camp here? And again, he's been getting a ton of buzz, the players, the coaches, the media, everybody's been raving about this kid. Yeah. I mean, it, it He's one of, if not the most exciting additions to this roster. I'd probably say he's him and Keon Coleman are the two that I'm most excited to see kind of what their role is. Uh, they'll have different roles. I think Kenneth Walker will certainly have a bigger role, but um, yeah, he's, I mean, he's an, he's a back who can do a little bit of everything really well. You know, he's kind of, he's got, he's got that water bug, Darren Sproles jitter to him. He can shake a few guys in the open field. He can, but then he's got strength and power. He can break tackles on contact. He can run through guys. He's got a little bit of that Le'Veon Bell patience where he'll just, he's only 5'10". He'll just kind of hide behind, not that Le'Veon Bell is 5'10", but he'll hide behind his linemen, let their blocks develop, keep his eyes downfield and see what opens up and then slams the hole. And he's got uh, enough speed. I mean, he's not the fastest running back you'll ever see, but he's got enough speed to outrun on uh, a defense, you know, if he can get to the second level and make a man miss, he can take it to the house and not, there's not too many dudes who are going to run him down once he's past him. So um, really well-rounded skill set. Um, again, strong, fast, uh, good vision, good patience. So I'm interested to see obviously how his game melds with, uh, with our scheme. He was coming from a Wake Forest scheme that was very unique. They ran this like delayed read option where him and the quarterback would basically like walk up behind the lineman. So dumb. It for like two or three seconds until a hole opened up. It's painful will... to watch, dude. It was painful to watch his tape. It is. It's it's brutal. But when he breaks one, he's got a serious wow factor that I don't think we have, or at least we haven't seen with the other guys in the room. So I mean he's going to have quite a role. He's the number one back in my mind. He's not going to be a Javon Ringer workhorse, you know, 40 touches a game kind of back, but he is going to be our first option in the backfield. Um, I think that's pretty much uh, guaranteed at this point, um, which takes a lot of pressure off the other guys to find their own roles and do what they do well. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I think if we didn't have him, it'd be a lot of, okay, is Jordan Simmons, you know, is it going to be Eli Collins? Is it going to be a young guy? Like, where are we going to get production? I think with Kenneth Walker, you have a steady baseline at running back and you can let the other guys kind of see 
how their legs are feeling in game, uh, which is a huge advantage to have, especially with the offensive line question marks as well. Yeah, it's it's funny to have this opinion going into this year because it's kind of the same as we had going into last year where we, you know, all right, you know, who's going to be the rushing leader for this year? And it was like, well, it's obviously going to be (laughs) true freshman Jordan Simmons. Like, yeah, we all predicted that one. But no, it's, you know, you talk about kind of being able to, to have guys and find their role. The one thing that is interesting here is is that Kenneth Walker in, in two seasons starting there, he only has nine career targets out of the backfield. So not somebody who has been involved, not to say that he can't do it. It's just something that we haven't seen in his skill set on his tape is him being that receiver out of the backfield. So maybe he can do it. I don't know. We just haven't seen it. He hasn't been targeted. It's not really a part of their offense there. So maybe that's where one of those easy spots where, you know, somebody that we'll get to here in a moment, like a Harold Joyner could carve out a role as a receiving back. Um, one stat that was really fascinating here with Walker, you talk about his ability to kind of slip tackles, break tackles, strong, quick, agile in, uh, in his career at wake forest, he has averaged four yards after contact and he has broken 0.32 tackles per rush. So he basically breaks a tackle once out of every three carries. Uh, both of those are top six in the country during that time. Those are both from PFF. Uh, so it, it just, it, it puts down something on paper to, to show what we've been saying about his ability to go break a tackle, make a guy miss in the hole and, and get to that second level. So especially when you have an offensive line, like you mentioned, that has some question marks, it really helps to have a guy who you can kind of account for making somebody miss. And and it takes a little bit of pressure off of that line, maybe helps them play a little bit free or who knows. But yeah, I think we've gotten to the point now where we've just, we've heard it from all angles. We've heard it from first the beat writers, but now at this point, from the players themselves, from the coaches, that he really seems to be the guy there. So I think we can kind of pencil him in for that number one role. Behind him, probably, if assuming that these uh, reports are true, Eli Collins, who should be back to form here after 2019, he ran for, for 988 yards and five touchdowns on 222 carries. Four and a half yards per carry. Again, it's it's not a number that's going to light your socks on fire, but it, it was not incredibly efficient. But it was it was a lot of volume, and it was somebody who just got the job done behind a pretty bad offensive line. Um, Nineteen career receptions. Again, you're looking at somebody who who could take a little bit of a pass catching role here. He caught um, the one play that I thought he looked pretty good last year. I remember there was a screen pass against, I think it was Indiana coming out of our own end zone. Um, he is, he has shown some good hands in his career here. So hopefully he can get back to form again. It sounds like he is, uh, but he's somebody that I think could take a pretty heavy second running back role. You think about like the, Edwin Baker, Le'Veon Bell combination where you you definitely have a number one guy. And interestingly enough, those guys kind of flipped who was that number one guy in 2010 and 2011. But then you also have a guy right behind him who is taking significant carries every single week. I think that's kind of what we're going to see here between these two. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great combination. Like I said, I think Walker's kind of a do-it-all guy. Um, maybe not so much in the passing game, but out of the backfield, kind of an every down back. Eli Collins is kind of uh, a little bit more downhill, one cut and, you know, point downhill kind of runner. Um, and I think that's, especially in the Big Ten with bigger defensive linemen, bigger linebackers, where you need to make sure you can put a shoulder into someone and fall forward. He's a bigger guy who can do that. You He's 225 kind of, pounds now. I mean, that yeah. is a pretty big dude. And I think that's kind of the role that they're gearing him towards. This is freshman season. We kind of just needed him to do any something well. Um, but this year, you know, we have smaller guys like Jordan Simmons, just under 200. Maybe that's to be like a third down spell back. We've got a guy in Kenneth Walker who's at 210, who's again, kind of do it all, but he's not the biggest body out there. And in a conference like the big 10, he's going to be up against some big dudes on the, on the other side of the line. And uh, Eli Collins is kind of that, that bigger one cut guy where he can build up ahead of steam, you know, give him a clean hole against the linebacker and you can rely on him to push that dude back a few yards when you need to. Um, I think it's, it sets up well for an effective backfield. Obviously, you'll have to mix in a little bit of everything for each guy, so the defenses can't get uh, can't get too um, greedy on their predictions. But yeah, he's going to be a, a great asset. I hope he is back to what he was. He does have a cutting ability. I mean, he's he's agile, just not to the degree that Kenneth Walker is. Um, but I think they make a great one-two punch. And again, I think Jordan Simmons kind of fills in as that third down spell back who's a little bit smaller, but has shown flashes and, and will find a role as well. But really excited to see, hopefully, Eli Collins put it back together this season. Yeah, no, and, and I, I, like you said, I just is somebody that I think every fan is rooting for to, to come back and have a good role on this team. Um, touching on uh, everybody else here we're, we're running a bit low on time so we want to make sure we get to these guys though because Jordan Simmons I thought was our best running back last year uh, had a really good game to finish off the season against Penn State where he had 17 carries 72 yards five yards a carry uh, played every game that he was healthy in as a true freshman so somebody that he came in and the staff trusted a true freshman to come in, take carries often as our number one running back, uh, I thought was really interesting. And I think he's somebody that we can't forget about here. I wouldn't be shocked if this turns into a little bit of something like 2015, where you had a bit of a three headed monster. It was led by LJ Scott, who was, pretty significantly the number one, but then you had Gerald Holmes and Madre London who each took over a hundred carries. I think it's very possible that you could have something like that this year. Obviously I think the, the total volume will be a bit lower because this is a staff that wants to throw the ball a little bit more. Uh, the offensive line isn't strong enough to be given everybody 30 carries a game. So, uh, but I, I don't think we can count Jordan Simmons totally out of this thing. Um, Harold Joyner coming in from Auburn. He is a really good pass catching running back. He had a 78 yard catch and run for Auburn a couple of years back. He's got 128 receiving yards in his career there, you know, pretty limited sample size, but you know, somebody that kind of played like a hybrid wide receiver running back role at Auburn and somebody that I was reading some articles when he transferred, uh, from like Alabama newspapers and somebody that that they seemed pretty upset that was leaving is somebody that I think a lot of people were hoping to carve bigger roles out 
Um, Connor Hayward, I guess we'll mention him. You guys all know Connor Hayward by now. Uh, <laughs> we talked about him moving to tight end. I think you're going to still see him in the backfield from time to time, just because you'll never completely eliminate Connor Hayward from the MSU backfield. Uh, and then beyond that, you've got Donovan Eaglin. You've got Davion Prim, the true freshman. Um, Scott, of those, I guess, three, four guys to fill out the depth chart here, uh, what what interests you? Um, I'm interested to see if Connor Hayward is full-time tight end, hybrid, running back tight end, or sticks around in the backfield. I, I mean, we mentioned enough guys with talent. I'd be pretty frustrated if he was taking too many snaps. Um, I think he'll get in there on the third down when we need, you know, maybe the pass rush is getting home in a game and we need a, a proven pass blocking running back uh, next to our quarterback back there. I think he'll find his way into the game, but um, I think it'll be spot roles. I kind of hope it'll be spot roles. Uh, Harold Joyner is an interesting one because I have heard he has taken some snaps at tight end, kind of a wide receiver um, split out tight end role. I mean, he's big enough and, strong enough to to play kind of inside catching passes in the box so interested to see what kind of role he does get I don't think he'll be taking too many snaps away from the the three guys we were just talking about and then I mean Prim and Eaglin I it, I'd be guessing if I tried to say what kind of role they would have Eaglin kind of intrigues me he's a really big dude 235 only 5'11". He's kind of a bowling ball type. Maybe he gets some goal line touches. I, I do love having a guy on the roster with that type of build. It's just something where you see those guys walk out onto the field and you're like, some poor linebacker might make the tackle here, but he's going to earn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to see him. Like I said, short yardage, maybe early season. We got a third and one we need to convert, throw him in there, give him the ball, see what he can do. Um, just watch him bruise some group of five, you know, sophomore who's trying to get his feet under him um and Jordan uh, not Jordan Simmons Davion Prim I'm excited for his career to play out I don't really think he'll have a very big role here again maybe some early season uh non-conference touches depending on how the game kind of progresses um but I don't really expect to see him on the field too much but yeah all in all I think we've got our top three getting touches I think Connor Hayward will sneak in the backfield for some pass blocking and some change of pace but um, it's an exciting group. I, Mel Tucker mentioned it was a group that struggled last year, obviously, to get its footing. Um, but he, along with, I think, everyone else who's paying close attention, is really excited to see this group come together. We have more depth than we did last year. And obviously, I think Eli Collins being potentially back to his um, freshman self uh, will bode very well for, for that group. Yeah, it's just a spot that, again, it's it's easy to get excited about the talent, but the frustrating part is is a lot of it does rely on that offensive line that struggled uh, in recent years. A, a couple of quick stats here, again, just to kind of wrap this up. In 2020, according to, to Pro Football Focus, we were 123rd in the country in rush yards before contact. This is a pretty clear, you know, that's an offensive line stat. It's uh, how many yards are you able to get your running back before he gets touched? We're almost last in the country, and we were dead last in the country in explosive run rate, which, you know, you go back and kind of think about that season. Like, I can't remember any, like, 10-yard run, let alone something that was 20-plus. So it's it was a frustrating season, and 
there is some talent here. You just have to have the offensive linemen that can actually open some holes up for these guys. Last thing is our over-under here. Mine is related to running backs. Scott is yours as well. Yes. All right. I'll let you kick this one off here. So we've got our weekly over-under. We've been doing this uh, last few episodes here, having some fun with, you know, just kind of coming up with a player prop. We're trying to tie these into the positional previews again uh we don't know what the other person has said so this will kind of be an answer on the fly scott you can uh you can kick it off here all right so we're gonna talk touches um so damn it we're gonna have like the same one again aren't we Uh (laughs) we Uh keep doing this get a backup ready um so not touches but carries i want to talk about carries so just plays where the the number one back in the backfield is, is getting the ball handed off to him, tossed to him, whatever it might be. Kenneth Walker, total carries versus the field. So will Kenneth Walker hmm. take at least half of our carries? If it was touches, I would take the field, but I think carries, it's a little bit closer. Yeah. I, I like, I'll, I'll still take the field here because Hmm, that's interesting. And we're not counting um, jet sweeps to wide receivers, quarterback runs. This is solely running backs. No, okay, okay, that changes things. I was going to say if you're going to give me quarterback runs, uh, and I'm sure that Naylor Reed will get a couple carries here and there. Um, if we're just taking, so this this kind of ties it. I'll I'll say mine in a second because it's related enough but different enough as well. Um, hmm. I'll take the field still. I think the Kenneth Walker hype is real. I think he's a really good player. But I also think Eli Collins showed that he's a really good player too. I think that Harold Joyner has potential. I think that, again, Jordan Simmons can't be totally forgotten about here as somebody who came in as a true freshman last year and was the best running back on the team. So if we expect a guy like we normally do to get better from his freshman year to his sophomore year to be here for a whole camp to get the playbook down and all of that. I, I think he's going to have a big role in this offense. So I think that the, the distribution of carries will be a bit more equal. I don't think it's going to be kind of a one man show or one man workhorse thing. The other thing we have to remember, and I've, I've tried to remind myself of this as we're kind of, pushing the the Kenneth Walker hype train and I know he was a young player but he was he wasn't the number one running back at Wake Forest and I think we kind of forget about that as as far as like the number of carries and yards he was the number two back there and so it's it's kind of funny how the the expectation is for him to come in and be a potential all Big Ten player um, which I think is certainly justified. You watch the tape and he was the best player on that team. I I really do think that, but um, I'll take the field though. I I think that there will be a pretty big distribution between at least Kenneth Walker, Eli Collins and Jordan Simmons. As far as the, the carries go, I think Harold Joyner will get a couple, but I think he's more of a receiving kind of guy. Uh, Hayward will get a couple here and there. Uh, like you said, Eaglin, Prim, I, I don't think we'll be involved a whole lot this year, but yeah, I'll take the field. Yeah, I'd probably go with the field too. In this day and age with uh, with running backs, I mean, you really only see a workhorse back when 
you ha- when it's a necessity, when you really only have one guy who you trust to take care of. Or when you have one case. guy that is a true stud that you want to be giving the ball every time he's on the field, right? Yeah. It just, so, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I'd agree with you. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, obviously, it'll depend a whole lot on the production of each of these guys. If Eli Collins and Jordan Simmons are getting one yard per carry and not, you know, the breeze is knocking them down, then that'll change things, but that's not what we expect, obviously. So um, yeah, I'd probably take the field as well, but I'd love to see him uh, be a guy that uh, produces so much that we have to give him the ball more. Yeah. And mine's very related. Like I said, uh, I, I was hoping yours wasn't going to be the same. It was different enough that I think it's worth mentioning these separately. Uh, mine was actually an over under on how many carries the second leading carrier will get. I, I was kind of looking at, again, going back to 2015, and you're looking at the three-headed monster of LJ Scott, Madre London, Gerald Holmes. All three of them had over 100 carries. Uh, you had LJ Scott leading the way with 146, Madre London 119, and Gerald Holmes with 110. Uh, And then I was also looking back at 2011 when you had Edwin Baker and Le'Veon Bell both getting big workloads. You had uh, Le'Veon Bell with 182 carries, Edwin Baker with 170. The year before it was flipped, uh, Edwin Baker got more. Le'Veon still was over 100 in that season, though. So I'm, I'm going to look at the second leading rusher, whether you believe that to be like Collins, Jordan Simmons, Harold Joyner, whoever the case may be. Uh, I want to give you over under 119 carries. That seemed like kind of the magic number there when you're looking at the, the Madre London role. So, you know, you kind of brought up, okay, the, the total bulk of carries between all the other guys. I'm going to give you just the second guy and saying, is he going to be really pushing for that role enough to where it it really is more of a split backfield and there is a second guy that's taking a ton of those carries? Okay, I like this. Um, It's tough, though. So when you look at last year, seven games, and you had Connor Hayward (laughs) pacing the group with 65 uh, rushing attempts, Jordan Simmons with 56, and Eli Collins, even though it seemed like he was quiet, still at 41. So it was not, I mean, 65 for number one and 41 for number three. It was, it was pretty, I mean, it was three headed. Yeah. Hey, Hayward would have had, if he kept the average, he would have had about 120 on the season. So Jordan Simmons would have been right around a hundred. If, if we kept this pace going for 13 game season. Jordan Simmons also only played five games. So had he played all seven games last year, he probably would have had the most touches on the team or most carries on the team. But um, that said 119 for the number two, that means it really is kind of a 2015 where you don't, I mean, yes, LJ Scott was the number one back, but I mean, he only had 30 more than the next guy. And it's a couple carries a game. It's, it's really a, a significant split. So, ah, one nineteen. It kind of depends on how much the number one back takes. If if the number one back is kind of near the rest of the group, I think you're going to get to one nineteen for that number two spot. If the number one back is is taking a heavy workload, I think it would be tough. But I think it will be a committee approach. I 
I'm going to take the over. Um, oh, but I didn't even con- take any consideration. We'll be passing more. I'll, I'll stick with the over. <laughs> I already said it. It's a tough one though. No, that's good. I, I it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm going um, under, but only slightly, just because I do think we're going to be passing more than we did in 2015, more than we did in 2010, 2011. I do think it'll be close, but number one, just because I don't think we're going to be running it quite as often. And number two, because I think there are three who are going to be taking enough and and one that will be a clear enough leader that I just I have a hard time seeing a number two getting that many. But I definitely think Eli Collins, assuming health, will get 100. But 119, 120, I, I, that would just be a little steep for me. So I'm going the under, but not by much. Yeah, no, it, I mean, you could make a solid argument either way. Um, one thing to consider in 2015 was that they played 14 games. That was obviously the college right. football playoff year. They played a Big Ten championship and a bowl game. A lot of games, a lot of touches. A lot of winning football games, which means you know the game, uh, the game script was playing in favor of uh, running backs getting touches later in the game. So all those played in favor. I would love to be playing a lot of uh, winning football this season. Hopefully that will be the case, and uh, we will hit that over on one nineteen. But uh, that would be that would be good. So let's wrap it. Great, great episode here talking all of the camp buzz, talking running backs. We'll be back next week, and then we'll start kind of rolling this thing twice a week to get through all the positions before we kick off Uh, about 18 days away as you're listening to this. So very excited for Michigan State football to be back in our lives. Uh, For Scott and I, I hope you have a phenomenal week, and we will talk to you soon. Go green. Go white. Take care, folks.